Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you this morning. So Christ is risen. Yes, amen. Okay, well, the, uh, let me just open a prayer for this one. Lord, we uh, love Sunday, Resurrection Day, because we know what that means for us. It means freedom from the power of death and sin, and an opportunity for a relationship with you in this lifetime and for the next. And so we are eternally grateful as we ponder the, the cross and what that meant and the impact that it has had on humanity from the days of Adam and Eve until the last soul before you come back. And we look forward to seeing who's all in your kingdom and having a giant party in heaven from the work that you accomplished in Golgotha 2,000 years ago. So yeah, we're, we're eternally grateful. We can't thank you enough, Lord. So, uh, yeah, we just want to open our service, and may your Spirit's presence be with us from the beginning to the end, and we invite you here this morning. Amen. Okay, whether we stand and read Mark 15, verse 22. Then they brought him to the place of Golgotha, which is translated, place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide which each, what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. <clears throat> Description of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourselves and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him amongst themselves and saying, He saved others, he can't even save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn into two from the top to the bottom. And the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw this. He breathed, saw he breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also some women looking on from a distance, among who were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the Less and Joseph, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. And many, there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. When evening came, when evening had already come, behold, it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. Ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Joseph brought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in a linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been there out on the rock, or sorry, had been hewn out on the rock, and rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. 
Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were looking on to see where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Siloam, brought spices so they may come and anoint him. Early on, very early on, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us and from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at their right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There will you see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with them while they were mourning and weeping. Please be seated. This morning is going to look a little different than usual, and then I'm not actually preaching a sermon this morning. Today we're going to actually have a guest speaker, and you know how we have guest speakers in Genesis House frequently. This one happens to come from Israel, and so let's welcome you here this morning. Welcome, Mary. Have a seat, Mary. Trust your flight uh, went well from the Holy Land? Oh, yes. My travels from Israel went very smoothly. Thank you. That's good to hear. Um, would you mind introducing yourself to the church? Because there might be some confusion as to who you are. Because at Christmas time, we actually had another Mary speaking to us in regards to the birth of Christ, and you actually look quite similar to her. Sure. Yeah. I'd be happy to do that. And I get why you had to ask me that, because I hear that I look like me all the time. <laughs> um, I'm not Mary, Jesus' mother. I'm Mary Magdalene. Okay, well, thanks for clearing that up. I appreciate that. The reason I asked you to come all the way from Israel this morning is really because, as you know, it's the most important date in the Christmas calendar, or Christmas calendar, Christian calendar, next to Christmas. And that's obviously remembering uh, Easter, and basically uh, the resurrection, the crucifixion, and what that means to us as believers. So as someone who knew him personally and experienced his transforming love, uh, witnessed the horrific event of Golgotha, and saw him resurrected with your own eyes, I thought no one was more perfect to talk to you than you about Easter and its significance. Yeah, it'd be my privilege. Great. Well, let's just talk, talk about your name, first of all. Uh, you're known as Mary Magdalene. But Magdalene isn't really your last name, is it? No, not at all. Magdalene actually refers to where I'm from. Um, I brought a map that I can show you, but I'm from a town called Magdala. It's on the western coast of the Sea of Galilee. So at the top, Capernaum is there, Gennesaret, and then Magdala is on the west. I actually have an aerial view as well of what it looks like today. And that's obviously looking probably from a drone or something over the town of Magdala onto the Sea of Galilee. And so obviously we can tell it's a beautiful place to live and uh, breathtaking. Um, but what we can, we can gather from the New Testament, Mary, your life was anything but beautiful, was it? 
No, life for me was horrific. Um, the reason being is that my life was steeped in idolatry and the occult, and the results of living that way were just devastating. Can you tell us about what it was like to live under that oppression? Well, you know the Ten Commandments, the first three. Um, God said, you shall have no other God before him, make no idols, and to never take his name in vain. Well, I had broken all of those to the most extreme extent that I'd become demonically possessed. And not just by one demon, but by seven, um, which Luke recorded in his gospel in chapter eight. So it says, the 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And the New Testament paints a pretty clear picture of what life looked like uh, for people like myself and others who were under Satan's power. So many of us would scream at the top of our lungs. Others, the demons would have the opposite effect. It would make them mute so they couldn't speak. Some had superhuman strength where they would break chains and shackles. Some enacted incredible acts of self-harm where they would cut themselves, they would burn themselves or attempt to drown themselves. Um, they would often experience uncontrollable seizures where they violently throw um, themselves to the ground. They'd spend lots of time in isolation and they were sometimes voyeuristic, which meant they didn't have sexual boundaries. They would publicly expose themselves. So, these behaviors were normal in the course of day-to-day -day living with a demonic influence. So yeah, life was literally a living hell. Man, I can't even imagine it, but hearing your story makes me even more concerned for Okotoks and why we're on the streets. Uh, many may not realize this, but Okotoks is actually steeped in the occult as well. We have a ton of um, uh, people that are sort of falling in this pattern. And so we don't want to mess around with that because of uh, what Satan can do when he really possesses and gets in focus on his life. But clearly, um, you're not like that anymore. So what happened? Jesus happened. Um, the New Testament records much of his time spent ministering in the district of Galilee. And it was there early on in his ministry that I encountered him. And in an incredible act of mercy, he freed me from all seven demonic spirits. Man, that must have been an incredible experience. Um, what was it like initially? Uh, it was immediate, it was a miracle, and it changed my life. Well, obviously outside of freeing you from demons, like what other ways did like, the Lord change you? Well, not only did I become a follower of Christ in the spiritual sense, but just read with me from Luke 8, 1 to 3 again for a second. Jesus began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women, who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Shusa, and Susanna, and many others, who were contributing their, to their support, contributing their support out of their private means. So as you can see in Luke, I had the privilege of not just being a spiritual follower, but a literal follower as well. And I was able to be part of Jesus' inner circle of ministry. Wow. Did you have a particular role like in that ministry? 
Yeah, the answer to that is recorded in Mark 15, verse 41, where he recorded that the women who accompanied Jesus were personal ministers to him. Now, don't think of a minister in a pastoral sense, like standing up here on a Sunday and preaching. It was more like a servant. In fact, the Greek word for minister means a servant, which included attending to his needs, like preparing food and other necessities for living. And to be clear, it wasn't Jesus that forced me to serve him. I was willing to do this. It was my choice. Um, it was my way of showing my love for him after the amazing act of mercy he had shown me. Yeah, no, that's incredible. Um, just uh, notice something on this PowerPoint here, and I just have a smaller version of it. I notice that it says that you were one to contribute um, to Christ's ministry through your private means. So um, obviously, uh, the Lord changed you like not only in possession, but in your willingness to serve, but in your financial life as well. Um, yeah, he obviously made a radical change in how you use money. You can tell us a bit about that. Yeah, that's right. I wasn't forced to do this again, but it was just another way that myself and the women showed our love toward him. Before I met him, I had spent so much time just living for myself, and I knew where that got me. So this was an opportunity to use my personal finances to further his gospel and kingdom purposes. Yeah, I know for myself too, that was a big change when I became a follower of him, it was just how I used my resources and uh, yeah, just use them for kingdom purposes. It's a real sign, I think, when the Lord gets a hold of you in that way, because the scriptures are clear too, like, Love, uh, our love for money competes for our love with God. And so by giving freely of our resources as a way of showing him that we're not enslaved to uh, our own personal lives and our wants. So it's incredible that you did that for him. I want to shift gears a little bit though, Mary, because obviously you chose to follow Jesus as the Messiah um, because you believed that he was the Christ. And as a Jewish woman, like no doubt, um, there was an initial hopes and expectations that you had as a, as, a, as a Jew and as a female, like, in regards to Jesus and his messiahship, like, didn't you all sort of have, like, a, an expectation of what he was going to do as that person? As a Jew, our expectations were pretty much all the same. We expected that when the Christ came, he would come as a conquering king who would free our nation from our the Romans. And this was the pervasive mindset of pretty much all Jewish people. Well, that makes sense too, because we know as a church, like the New Testament records on a couple different occasions that even his own disciples thought that the kingdom of Israel was going to be restored by Jesus being the Messiah. And they thought it to be a political one and not a, not a spiritual one. So when you're following Jesus with these hopes then in this way, can you bring us to the night then when all of these hopes seem to come crashing down? Because one day you're following him, expecting him to free you from Rome and, to, and for you as a, and the 12 disciples to sort of have a place of honor beside him. And that carried, of course, a lot of excitement. Like, what did you do when you were following him? And then within 24 hours, he was literally gone. Well, it was the night of Passover when all our hopes in Jesus were just completely dashed. Um, he and the 12 disciples had just celebrated the Passover meal. Uh, which we know is a celebration in Israel where um, we remember God having delivered them from slavery in Egypt. So it was after that meal um, that Jesus and the disciples retreated to the Garden of Gethsemane 
That's a place where they often went for a time of rest um, and prayer. But out of nowhere, and unbeknownst to the disciples, um, a large number of the religious leadership, along with their temple police, um, appeared in order to arrest him. They took him, and after leading him away and putting him through a fake trial, they turned him over to Pontius Pilate, who had him brutally flogged and threatened to be crucified. And then everything turned from bad to worse when those threats became a reality. By 9 a.m. the next morning, Jesus was led to Golgotha and executed mercilessly at the hands of the Romans, nailing him to a cross. Many people don't know this about you, Mary, but you were actually there. Yeah, I was. Uh, Matthew records in chapter 27 that I, along with other women, including Jesus' mother, were present at the crucifixion site. It must have been brutal to watch. It was awful. I saw and I heard it all. The sound of the nails being pounded into his hands and feet, the mocking and the teasing from the crowds, as they taunted um, him to save himself if he truly was the Messiah, as well as the insults from the other criminals who were crucified that day. I heard every moment that um, Jesus gasped for air as he struggled to gain his breath. Death on a cross is by asphyxiation, um, which means that his body would hang so heavy um, below his arms that in order to breathe, he'd have to crawl up on his wounded and whipped back in order to get a breath and to say anything. Um, I even heard him refuse the sour wine um, that would be used to dull his pain. Um, but what was, what was most incredible to me were the words Jesus spoke throughout the entire crucifixion. In the midst of all the injustice, Jesus said to his father, forgive them, and they don't know what they're doing. He also, in his dying moments, he extended this offer of forgiveness to a criminal who was crucified next to him, teaching us about salvation through grace and that there's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. The thief never had the opportunity to get down off the cross, to do good works, or to prove his loyalty to Jesus, yet... Jesus still declared to that man that that day he would be saved and they would be together in paradise. I also heard him say in his final breath, it is finished. And I know we'll talk more about that later. So you're there for the crucifixion. That started at 9 a.m. He was dead by 3 in the afternoon. So you were there for six hours in total. But you were also there when his body was taken off the cross. And even according to Mark, as we just read, you were there at the burial for him as well. That's right. A man by Joseph of Arimathea had asked Pilate for Jesus' body um, so he could give him a proper burial in a tomb that Joseph privately owned. So as Jesus' body was being taken from the tomb, uh, or taken to the tomb, I followed them there and I watched them anoint his body with spices and they wrapped him in linens and placed him in the tomb. And as I hear your story, I can't even imagine the experience you went through and the emotions you must have uh, also had to endure. But I think what stands out for me in your story is that really 
And compared to everything we read in the New Testament in terms of his followers, your loyalty and commitment to him is outstanding. I mean, like I said, you were there at nine in the morning, and probably even earlier. You, you never left the side for the crucifixion. You were there for the burial and everything. And I think this is really important to tell everyone about because I don't know if you know this church, but 11 of the disciples all fled and abandoned him. So Jesus uh, was training these like, well, 12, there was 12 men. There was 12 men he was training for ministry, his right-hand men, and only one was there at the crucifixion. Only one, the rest abandoned him. And, uh, and then nobody was at his burial. But Mary, I mean, you were there from beginning to the end. I couldn't abandon him. Not after everything he had done me, the mercy he had done for me, the mercy he showed me, um, he completely changed my life when I was at my absolute worst. So I had to stay near. Well, let's get back to the Jewish expectation then. So, again, Jesus is Messiah. You've come to believe this. You're hoping he's going to free you from the Romans. That's your expectation. At the arrest, there's still some hope because you could still be freed. But at the crucifixion, it's obvious the Messiah's hopes are done. And then you're at also the, the, the burial. Again, another sign that, of course, the Messiah's hopes are done and his mission has failed. Um, tell us a bit about that then. Like, I mean, you thought the death was his end. In that day, in that particular moment, I did think it was the end. But now looking back, I know it was just the beginning. Well, well let, let us, tell us about that. Sure. So three days after the crucifixion, myself and the other women, we got up early in the morning while it was still dark to go to the tomb in order to anoint Jesus with some fresh spices. And when we arrived there, we were struck by awe because the stone, that massive stone that sealed the entrance to the tomb, it had been rolled away. And when we went inside to look around, his body was missing. So what did you do? Honestly, I came undone. I began to weep because I just assumed that his body was stolen. Um, but then something incredible happened. Two angels appeared to us and they told us that Jesus' body was missing because he had risen and conquered death. And as a result, we were going to go report all of this to the disciples and then head to Galilee and wait for Jesus to appear to us. Wow. I mean, again, this must have been a huge flood of emotions for you, right? You go from shock to horror that he's crucified, to being weeping because he's not in the tomb. Um, that ecstatic joy that, that knowing he's alive. I mean, it must have been quite something. But your story gets even better because according to the angels, they told you you're gonna have to wait till later to sort of, or sure, to head to Galilee, I should say, to meet Jesus. But that wasn't the case for you, was it? So after the angels spoke to me, I turned around to go and tell the disciples the news. I heard Jesus call me by name. Just said, Mary. Okay, so tell us more. So I yelled out, teacher. I fell at his feet. I grabbed a hold of his ankles and I just held on for dear life. And from the outside looking in, I must have looked like a crazy woman again, but I didn't care. Jesus was alive, he was back. Well, I thank John for his gospel because he tells us about those details there. And so we read from Mark this morning, so we didn't get to see that, but that's an important thing to see how you're sort of holding on to him for dear life and he gave you a personal um, 
basically a personal resurrection experience. That's pretty amazing. Um, I think, again, uh, what stands out for me in this part of your story is really twofold. Number one, you were the earliest witness of all Jesus' followers to the resurrection of Christ. You got to be the first and earliest witness of the resurrection. The second thing I think is amazing about your story is that you were sent by Jesus to be the first one to tell people about the resurrection. So what a, again, privilege, but I'm, I'm gonna, I can't put words in Jesus' mouth, but I'm, I'm gonna guess again it has something to do with how radically he forgave you and offered you redemption, but also just your loyalty to him and commitment throughout your entire life. So pretty neat. Looking back then, looking back then, um, you had a certain belief regarding Jesus, the political Messiah, the conquering king, his death was the end. Even the resurrection probably at first confused you, you didn't fully get it. But now you totally understand things differently. Can you finish our time together by telling the, the church here gathered for Easter, why was the crucifixion necessary? Why was it not a sign of his like um, end? And why was the resurrection so important and is still important for us today? Well, I've learned that Jesus was not fighting for a political or an earthly kingdom, but rather he was fighting for an eternal kingdom. So Jesus came to fight for our souls. The only way Jesus could save our souls was by dying for us. So his death on the cross are not, is not a sign of defeat, but it's actually a sign of victory. And the Bible teaches us that as humans, we have a problem that we haven't been able to solve on our own, and that problem is sin. So Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No matter how hard we try, all of us have failed to love God and to love each other perfectly. We've all acted selfishly at one time, lied, cheated, react, or reacted hurtfully to someone, or we've gossiped, or something else at one point or another. And these are all sins that separate us from God. And Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death. So sin comes at a grave cost. It's why death of our bodies and souls has entered the world. And only a sinless death would be able to pay the price that God is owed. Thankfully, and praise God that he uh, provided his only son, Jesus, for our, our sinless savior to die in our place. He bore that death that we all deserve for sin, even though he didn't deserve it. Second Corinthians 5 says that God made him, which is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so knowing that we cannot live sinless lives, God uh, provided his own rescue for us. Um, Jesus took our place so that we can live in right relationship with God and experience eternal life with God. First John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. So forgiveness is for anyone who confesses. God is faithful in response and he will not fail to forgive you. He's the only one who's just enough to forgive you. So that's the crucifixion. What, what about the resurrection? Yeah, so let's go to first Corinthians. It says, if Christ had not been resurrected, your faith is worthless 
and you are still in your sins. So Paul said it like this, if the resurrection didn't happen, then we are to be pitied above all else. Because if just Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we would never be forgiven. But I've got good news. <laughs> the resurrection did happen, and now hope is living within us. Jesus' body bones have never been found. Creation and new life, like puppies I heard, <laughs> uh, springs up all around us, testifying to new life in Christ. All of scripture's witnesses tell us that he rose, and the Holy Spirit within us testifies that he's alive. So we can say, oh death, where is your sting? And the answer is clear. There is absolutely no death, or no victory for death. It has no power. So Lord, we're going to give you all the glory for what you did 2,000 years ago. I, uh, when we hear Mary Magdalene's story, Lord, they, they, uh, you're, it comes alive in terms of um, what actually happened and what you actually did. May the theological truths of what we learn move from the head to the heart, and it, it changes the way we live. And the essence of the cross is self-sacrificial love, where we lay down our lives for others, with no expectation of return and um, the ability to treat one another the same whether we receive love back. And so we, uh, you modeled that to us and made that move to the transition of our hands and our feet and our mouths as we uh, go on throughout the year. Thank you for your grace and your gift. Amen.